You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. I um, I really thought a lot about this word joy this week. Um, I love to ask people about some of the subject matter that I'm going to preach on. It really helps me to understand where people are. And uh, this was no different. And matter of fact, it was quite amazing how, how many people had ideas about joy. And it was really amazing how many of us equate joy with happiness. Joy and happiness somehow seemingly being the same thing, uh, if you will. Uh, but most of us then look at that based on what the world defines happiness as being. And that's what we think God's joy is supposed to be about. And so I think that creates for us quite a struggle. I think it's quite a challenge to live out the joy of the Lord uh, as defined by the world uh, when the world equates it to the world's view of happiness. And so this morning, I would like to try to do something a little bit different with you and talk to you about this, this idea of joy. I wanted both of these stories to be read to you today because I think that they're important in, in the understanding of joy. Uh, these shepherds are on a hillside. They are doing what shepherds do. They're living a tough life. They're living a life that has a lot of adversity to it and oftentimes doesn't have a great deal of reward in it other than the raising of their sheep. Um, And the price of sheep, like any other livestock, can fluctuate. Uh, So there can be times of uh, adversity that create situations where these people live uh, with, with some uncertainty of their future. And yet on this hillside, on this particular night, the heavens open and the angels begin to speak this revelation to them, if you will, of this newborn babe who is a king and who is coming to bring peace on the earth in some sense. And they are talking about joy and being overjoyed. And yet we see in this story that these shepherds go and they find this baby And they speak with the baby's mother and father. And they share what the angels have shared with them. And people question this and wonder about this and talk about this. It says Mary ponders this. She she holds this in her heart and, and thinks about it deeply. But the interesting thing that it doesn't say is that the shepherds return. Yes, praising God. But beyond that, they return to the same life that they had before. Their lives circumstantially don't change very much. The change is within them, but they are still shepherds. They are still lowly. They are still in the same business, if you will, that they were in. Their lives don't get riches and, and, and wealth, and they don't move into some other kind of territory. Uh, their lives don't get easier. They don't get to hire under-shepherds to shepherd their sheep so they can go travel. They don't get to immediately retire. These things don't happen for them. They stay the same. Yet, there seems to be an amazing uh, pronunciation of joy upon them. They are the, re- the initial recipients of this joy to the world. 
and are called to live in that joy, I believe, even though their circumstances don't change. But the world will tell us happiness comes when circumstances change to something you may want or desire, and once you get that, you find happiness in that place. And yet their circumstances don't change, and the greatest joy of all eternity is proclaimed to them. But then we move to this other story and we have magi. We have elite individuals, if you will. We have royalty. We have people coming with great wealth. And the interesting thing is though they already possess this wealth, already they they have these possessions, already they have this identity or this reputation, if you will, already they have this sense of success in their lives, and yet they are still searching. And so they search out this great king that is prophesied about because they see this star. And the amazing thing is when they find him, their intent is to worship him. And they worship this king, this newborn king, is worshipped through the act of giving very valuable gifts or tokens, if you will, of worship and adoration to him. And so we see men who realize and understand that all these things that they have and they possess and that give them some sense of success in life are not enough. They are not sufficient. And it says that upon finding this child, they have, they experience great joy. Great joy. Joy that possessions did not give them. Joy that circumstances did not give them. Joy that reputation or identity did not give them. Joy that success did not give them. And so I would say to you this morning, could we look at this and could we conclude that the joy of the Lord is a different thing? There's something very unique about the joy of the Lord. And it is not in our experience, all right? Joy, like any other attitude, it can come and and it can go. It's not guaranteed uh, simply because we are believers. All right? Um, we've We've got to put ourselves in the places where experiencing joy is a possibility. We have to we have to be proactive in this thing, all right? And and studying Bible verses about joy will help us do that. It will help us build this understanding. And I I would challenge you to do that as we leave here today, that you take some of these scriptures that I'm about to to throw at you and, and that you would begin to put them into your life. You would begin to work with them, if you will. All right. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to I want to take this thing of joy away from sort of this elusive place that it seems to dwell a lot. And and I would like to bring it to a place where it is we are able to grab hold of it. All right. We are able to to experience it. We're able to enjoy it, if you will. All right. If you go to dictionary.com, joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying, all right? Now, this is nice. It sounds good. 
and we could experience this, yes, we could experience this practically by eating bacon. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I said that for you, Nathan. Right? But, but that's the truth. I mean, there are a lot of things that can fit into this definition that can make us happy and can make us experience an emotion of great delight. And I guarantee you, if you invite Nathan to your house and you fry up some hickory-smoked bacon, honey-flavored especially, when he walks in the door, he's going to feel that. To the point that you're going to recognize that there has been a sudden shift in this man. His countenance is going to convey it to you, all right? And he's probably going to respond verbally to that in some way with some sort of appreciation to you, all right? You, you, you got it. You hit the button. You tripped the trigger. You did whatever was necessary to bring a certain amount of satisfaction and happiness to this man. And there's nothing wrong with that, all right? But I think for, for joy, as we are trying to understand it and get it here in the Scripture, I think there's some better definitions out there. Um, and I'm just going to give you one. You can, you can sort of play with this a bit yourself, I think, and I'd, I'd love for you to and, and, and try, to, try to put a good definition around this word joy. But, but uh, Patty Hummel in Glorifying God, she says this, Joy is setting the soul upon the top of a pinnacle. It's like the cream of the sincere milk of the Word. Spiritual joy is a sweet and delightful passion. And it's arising from the, the apprehension and the feeling of something good. All right? It's like it may not even be there yet, but you sense it. You feel it. All right? And, and, and it's something good whereby the, the soul is supported under present troubles, and it's fenced against future fear. So my question to you and I is, how can we put ourselves in that, that place where exceptionally good happens and our soul is supported and fenced in against troubles and against future fears? Can can we, is there a way for us to discover, if you will, some of these wonderful principles in Scripture that will help us be fortified so that we are living in a place of, of delight in the Lord and joy in the Lord that carries us through difficulties and, and takes us through adversities? I don't want it to be something you just sing about. Don't want it to be something you just read about and go, yeah, yeah. But the yeah is just plastic. Because deep down in your soul, there's an ache or a hurt or a longing that prevails. That it, it stays there. It doesn't, it doesn't allow you to find the freedom to enjoy and experience God in the way that God would intend for you to as his son or as his daughter. And so 
I would like to look at a few verses of Scripture with you this morning, and I'm j- I am. I'm going to just kind of shoot them at you bullet-like. bullet, bullet This is a topical sermon, so we're just going to go through some Scriptures on, on joy here this morning. Um, but I, I would like to, to take you through the Scriptures and encourage you briefly in them. Um, not obviously can't do them all, so I've chosen a few of them this morning. There's actually 214 uses of the word joy in, in the Scriptures. Well, that would depend on which translation you're using, obviously, but somewhere in that, in that range, all right? Um, and, and, and nearly, though, the interesting thing is that nearly one-fourth of all the verses that relate to joy and rejoicing, uh, almost a fourth of them lay within the Psalms. So there's, a, there's this sort of powerful collection within the Psalms um, that, that I think we, we can kind of just go there and look at. And that's what I'd like to do with you this morning. I, wanna, I want to, my goal is to try and establish some principles for joy, joyful living, living in, in joy, if you will. So what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn to the Psalms with me. And let's just kind of peruse the Psalms a little bit here this morning and, uh, and get comfortable. I want, and the reason I want you to use your Bible this morning rather than me throwing them up on the screen, and, and Melissa can throw them up there if she wants to, that's perfectly f- fine. But I want, you to, I want you to kind of get in your Bible. I want you to kind of get a good feel for your, for your Bible and for the Psalms here. Um, and and I, I love, like when we pray on Tuesday mornings, David and I, in our, in our staff prayer time, um, for, for those three hours that we're back here, I've got my computer, my laptop back here, and I've got Bible Gateway up because I want to be able to type in a word when God drops it in my heart, and I can just go there and, and, and figure that out. And so I, I, those of you who have phones, those of you who have iPads, those of you who have laptops, uh, I, I get that, I understand that. Uh, but being 60-something years old, uh, I, I still like to fall back on paper, okay? Uh, so I'd really love to you, for you to, to, to have a favorite Bible um, that you, you love, and I'd love for you to enjoy that with the Lord. And I'd love for you to turn those pages a little bit and get accustomed to that. Some night the electricity might go out and you just might need a candle and a Bible, all right? Joy. Joy is not an emotion that can be forced. You can't fabricate it. You can't fake it for very long. All right? Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 137. And let's look at verse 4. Psalm 137. Look at verse 4. This is, a, this is an amazing story here. Now, the, the Israelites have been dispersed. And they say, they're on the poplars, on these trees where they were living out, out and away from their homes. They say, they're on the poplars. We hung our hearts. There's, there's a sense to this that Our circumstances are ruling everything. We've been displaced. We're not in our homes. We're not where we long to be. 
We're not, we're not where our heart's desire is. We're, we're separated from that, all right? So we, we, we hung our hearts out on the poplars, for there our captors asked us for songs. Those our captors, those who have taken hold of us. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And our question, God, is how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? I, I want to I start this talk of joy by saying to you that there are going to be times in your life where you're going to feel and experience separation you're going to feel and experience rejection you're going to feel and experience doubt and fear and maybe even other deeper things and i'm not asking you here to do something that you can't do or that you have to do in some kind of plastic or fabricated way i'm not asking you to pretend to be happy all right I'm advocating to you there is a way into joy that you can find in any circumstances because joy is not dependent on the circumstance. And they're saying, we can't sing. We can't sing these songs. We can't sing songs of joy because of the situation that we are in. How can we do it in a foreign land or in a foreign place? How can we do it separated from what? means everything to us. Well, let's turn back over now to Psalm 27. I'm going to have you all over these psalms this morning, but I think you're going to be able to be strengthened through this little process here. Psalm 27. Let's start at verse 5. For he will hide me, in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. In other words, In my circumstances, even though I'm in a place of bondage, some of you guys who are coming out of the penitentiary, you're going to understand this a little bit better than some other people do, all right? Because there's something about being being confined, being locked up, and yet being free. That men in, in the prison who come to know Jesus experience and understand better than you and I. There are no worse circumstances. You go talk to August after, after the service, okay? There are no worse circumstances for a man on the face of the earth or a woman to be incarcerated. That, that is a difficult place to live and, and, to, and to find joy and, and, and to be bound there and to be confined there. And yet there is freedom in that place and there is joy in that place. And, and what David is saying is, is God will hide me in the shelter. God will come in the day of trouble. God will conceal me. He will cover me. He will protect me. He will even lift me high. He says, and now 
now. In that day, God will do that. But now, my head shall be lifted up. I will, I will rejoice now. Because of this that I know and that I, I understand, I will rejoice above my enemies who are all around me. And then notice he says, I will offer sacrifice. That sacrifice offered is the shouts of joy. It's not being plastic. He's not pretending. Based on what I know, based on what I have, based on my revelation, I choose joy. And even though the circumstance is not joyful, the situation is not joyful, I will sacrifice that praise. I will offer that joy. I will cultivate that joy. Because it's not based on these circumstances surrounding me. We can can be in difficult situations and yet experience joy. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, Uh, Verse 22, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. That's how their ancestors treated the prophets. It's not a new thing. What you're going through as, as followers of me in the New Testament, the prophets experienced in the old. You, as a believer, you are going to experience these kinds of things in this earth. They're going to come against you. But take heart. There is joy that is in the Lord. And though joy cannot be forced, it can be experienced in a very difficult situation. James said in, in James 1, verse 2, Count it or consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith is going to produce this perseverance in your life. We don't enjoy this kind of talk, especially if we are in those circumstances. And in those difficulties, and we we can recall those difficulties, we can recall those circumstances at various seasons of our life and say, you know what, I don't want to go back there. And I'm not prophesying to you that you're going back there, but I'm saying to this, if you find yourself in difficulty, if you find yourself in adversity, there is a way out, and that is in God. And if if you're going after worldly happiness... It's not going to work. That's not going to take care of it. Here's the thing. Even if circumstances get better, that does not guarantee happiness necessarily. Here's what I I want us to to, to get to here. Joy is possible. All right? I I want that to sink deep down in you. Joy is possible. You don't have to live void of joy. You don't have to live outside of joy. But, but there, there are conditions. There are, there, there's, a, there's a component to this. Joy is possible when we are secure in the Lord. All right? It doesn't just... You can't go out to an unbeliever who is going through difficulty and adversity and say, Oh, you, you can have joy. Don't do that. If they are not secure in the Lord... They can't experience what we are talking about here. This comes in a relationship with the Lord. All right, let me take you to Psalm chapter 4. Back up just a little bit more, okay? 
Psalm chapter 4, start at verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You know what? The world is going to tell you that they have the answer. The world is going to tell you that they can make you happy and that's all you will need. But you got to understand that God is the source of a joy that surpasses the happiness that the world can provide for you. I'm not going to stand here today and tell you that everything in the world is bad. And, you, and you, you've got to live this, this sort of uh, monastic kind of restricted life. All right? I'm not telling you that you have to, to, to be in that place where you can't enjoy good things. But I want you to understand that there is something beyond the good of this earth. There is something beyond the good that is in the world today. You can enjoy your feast. You can enjoy possessions. There are, there are many things you can do. But they can't give you what God can give you. They can't give you this joy that, that secures you, that plants you, that allows you to be consistent and sustained throughout all the circumstances and situations of life. And you know what? God is not wanting you and I to be people who, who are up and down and blown about and tossed around by the waves of the world. They, they, they would have you to believe that, that just getting the right job or just getting the right income or just getting the right experience or just getting the right person in a relationship, that all of these things, that those are the things that will fulfill you. But that is not true. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Be full of joy in the Lord always. And he goes on and he says, I'll say it again. Be full of joy. And then he makes this interesting statement. He says, Let everyone see that you are gentle and kind. The Lord is coming soon. I think it's amazing that he, he, he puts these things together here. You and I, we find our joy even though we are unfulfilled. And there's a longing within us for something beyond us. Even the earth groans and moans and travails for it. And that is the coming of the Lord. But that is where our great hope is, is, is in that, that coming, if you will. All right? And so this joy that we have here sustains us through these times and these situations of adversity or spiritual drought, if you will. All right? I think also we can see here from the Psalms that joy comes when we have some clear direction for our lives. And I think that's one of the, the big areas for a lot of people is that there's just no sense of clarity. There's no sense of direction, if you will. And that's what we hear so much coming into the office. I just don't know where I'm going. I just don't know what's 
ahead of me. I just don't know what's out there. And I, I, I really need some sense of direction. I just feel like I'm floating. I just feel like I'm the ball in the, in the pinball machine. I'm just being bounced around. Let's go to Psalm 16 and look at what David writes here. Psalm 16, verse 11. He closes this psalm out with this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. Your direction has to come from heaven, not from earth. All right? The problem is we are looking at the roadmaps of the earth realm. We're, we're going out, if you will, just like we do on a vacation. We, you know, we're all looking for that, that spiritual triple A who will give us the little uh, tick maps that you can just you know, go this far and then check out this. Be careful of this. Be, there's construction over here. Uh, here's a rest stop. Uh, you know, we, we want all those little pieces, but we want the world to give it to us. And you're going to find your pathway in the presence of the Lord. And there you find joy. Listen, the revelation of the world and the direction of the world, no matter where in the world you get it, is not going to fulfill you and it's not going to give you the joy that your heart and soul is longing for. It's not going to do that. Even if along that roadway there are wonderful things, it will never satisfy. It will never fulfill you. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. A life with Jesus is going to cost you everything. But the resultant joy is unbelievable. You and I have to be willing to reach a point where we say, I, I have to let go of this duplicity. I'm, I'm hedging my bet so I'm staying in the world, but I'm also over here in the church no, because Jesus might be the total sum but just in case I'm going to stay over here and I'm going to get some of it from over here and, and, and Jesus says no you can't serve two masters and he says I'm the treasure I'm the treasure and he's challenging you and I that we live in that place of him as our treasure. Um, I, I think that joy comes when we live in God's presence. And I know for some of us that, that's a bit of a challenge. Let's go to Psalm 21. You know, in a, in a world where, where there's success and, you know, celebrity success and money and, and, and personal glorification and all of that, it, it's really easy to lose focus on what will really bring us joy. And if there are some things that are desires in our heart, those desires can get so, so strong 
that, that they take away our, our focus, all right? Um, certain accomplishments, certain achievements, those, those are the victories in our life because those, those are places where we really feel affirmed, we really feel safe, we really feel success. But, but no matter how good these victories are, no matter how, how, much, how great the glory is in them, no matter how much there's, there's this sort of earthly splendor and majesty, in the end, real joy is going to come when you spend time in the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 5 of, of 21. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on Him. For you make Him most blessed forever. You make Him glad with the joy of your Let me ask you an honest question and you give your own heart an honest answer. All right? How many of you intentionally cultivate some type of presence of God in your life? How often do we busy God out of things? How often do we fail to see and we actually miss God in the simple things of our day? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you looked at one of your children and you said, amazing. I can see the glory of the Lord in the gift of this child. How many of you have laid down in a recent night and said, God, because you are with me, I'm going to close my eyes joyfully. And I'm going to relax and I'm going to rest in you. So what I'm talking about is, is moments of intentionality. Moments where you are very legitimate in cultivating this presence of the Lord. This awareness that God is there. And see, this is what we do as God's people. We, we, get, we get this mindset and we buy into the deception of it. And that is, well, I know the Lord's with me. I know the Lord's here. I trust God. I, tr- I trust God for my good. I trust God to take care of me. That's great until you enter in an adversity or a difficulty or a tough situation or something goes awry. Some of us are really good at saying, you know what? If I pray, then I'll be all right. So I, I in a very regimented way i i pray i pray the lord's prayer every morning it's great that's admirable but are you doing that because you are building your own religion or are you doing that because you are intentionally wanting to cultivate the presence of god and i think that's that's where we have to look at our heart's motive here I I want every one of us to be the people that David challenged us to be last week. When he said, he made a statement last week that ripped into me. And he, and he, he, he sort of diagnosed us as a church. And he said, you know, I believe Life Church is a pretty safe church. 
And that's what we cultivate. We cultivate that. All right. That if Life Church is a safe church, it's only because Life Church's people are playing it safe. You know? But could we, could we spend time in the presence of God and cultivate this joy that we are speaking about here that will allow us to step out in faith to do those kinds of things that maybe we would not have done before? Because we're not afraid. We're not afraid that our bank account's going to get too low. We're not a- afraid that, that we're going to get humiliated or our reputation is going to go into jeopardy. We're not a- afraid of all the other things that the enemy puts around us. We're not afraid that we're going to stumble. We're not afraid that we're going to make big mistakes and people are going to think bad of us or we're going to in some way get in trouble with the world. Jude chapter 1 verse 2 says to him who is able to keep you (laughs) I love that to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy wow to keep you without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord for all ages forevermore. I think that this is really key for us. First Thessalonians chapter 3 says, How can we thank God enough for you? <laughs> In return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Let me tell you one of the times that I feel, I feel the presence of God the most. I, I refer to it often, and, and I like to refer to it because I want you to know that we pray for you. David and I have a prayer time on Tuesday mornings. We spend about three hours in prayer. Uh, one part or one segment of that prayer time is that we take a sheet of paper, and uh, I have it at, at my desk. David has one on his desk. Sometimes uh, we, we actually leave them here. Uh, on, on the podium. Um, it is actually all of your names. All of you are on the list. All right? And we make it a point that on that day, uh, we pray for you. That usually happens about 9.30. It's at that part of our prayer time that we usually pray that. So most every week at 9.30 and a little beyond that for the next like hour, hour 15 minutes, Every one of you who are regular attenders in Life Church and a few other peripheral people, you get prayed for by us. Now, here's why I'm telling you that. One, one of the times that I feel the presence of God the most is when I pray for you. When I'm, when I'm praying and asking God's blessing upon you, I feel that. And, and when I sort of stumbled across this, this verse here in First in Thessalonians, it, it just, it, my eyes just popped open because the writer is saying, we are thanking God for you. And, and, and in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you. You are, you are a catalyst for my joy in the presence of God when I am praying for you and thinking about you and 
caring about you in prayer. And that's an, that's an amazing benefit. I say that to you because I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to cultivate the presence of God. And find ways to do that. Your way may not be praying for someone else. That happens to be one of my ways. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that you need to have some type of intentionality to cultivate joy. It, it, it's never going to just come on you, probably. It's probably going to require you to position yourself in some way in the presence of God or in some way with God so that you experience the blessing of God in your life. And folks, the Bible, unfortunately, it promises you that you are going to have difficult times. It just, it says it. I wish it didn't. I don't like speaking that part of God to you. But it's going to happen. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulations. The key isn't whether or not you're going through them. It's how you go. It's how you get on the other side and what state you're in on the other side. And and the really hard place is to see a brother or sister who's gone through a difficulty but on the other side they're shipwrecked in some sense and what i'm saying to you is i believe there's prevention for that we can't stop adversity or we can't stop a trial necessarily some you can some of your adversity and some of your trial let's be honest is your own doing your own decision making all right? But not all of it is. But, but as we go through these difficulties in this life, I believe we can be preventative from being uh, shipwrecked on the other side of them. And so I, I really want you to become a person who is, is in the spirit of praise and in the spirit of the presence of God. I want to give you one more and then, and then I'll... I'll stop with these this morning I believe that joy comes when we live an honest biblical life an honest biblical life what, what, what do you mean by that Pastor? well let's look at Psalm 97 Scroll down to verse 10 and look at that. Let this challenge us as God's people this morning. O oh, you who love the Lord. I would hope that if I pose the question to you, do you love the Lord, that all hands would go up this morning. O oh, you who love the Lord. Hate evil. Hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. 
I'll say it from my own life and from my own experience. I won't point fingers this morning or judge you in any way. I have never found joy in willfully choosing to sin. Even if the temptation to the sin conveyed a promise of joy. In the sin, very quickly, into the sin. I mean, you don't even have to really step into it. All you got to do is get here. But already you're weighted that way. And you, and you know, in your heart of hearts, if you're a child of God, you know it conflicts and it confronts you. And I challenge us that we live greater lives of righteousness than we do of worldliness. Because our joy is in our uprightness of heart. It is, it, it is a heart condition. It, is, it, it does have feelings. But it's far beyond that. Because it's attached to God. He says in the last verse, then rejoice or have joy, take joy in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. I, I want to challenge you and I that we are living more and more pure in our lives as we are maturing and as we are growing and being disciples. Because I believe that, that Jesus really is calling us to biblical obedience. Um, he says in John chapter 15, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. He goes, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy is complete. We if we're not careful, folks, in our world, our society, our culture today, we will dance on the edge of righteousness and never enjoy the fullness of Christ and have complete joy. And he goes on to, to sort of bind that up with his command, and his command is that you love each other as I have loved you. And I would say to you that there is a dimension of this joy that comes when you get outside of yourself and you prefer others over yourself. And I'm going to tell you something. There is just absolutely no greater place to live than in the center of God's will. There's, there's no way to be in the center of His will without living according to the Word of God. And so an honest, biblical life is going to bring you and I great joy let me there's so much more I would love to say to you but let me let me close here uh, you know God is God is an unconventional kind of teacher um, he uses paradoxes a lot of time to just infuse us with good common sense you know he'll um, well he will make healing happen through pain um, he um he will bring clarity into our lives through what are very difficult circumstances. Um, he, will, he will use things that we would never have thought to make sense of our lives. 
And he even goes so far as to say, for you to actually live, you're going to have to die. But he died for us to live. Uh, Margaret Feinberg is, a, is an author. She's, she's written books. Um, she wrote a book called um, Fight Back with Joy. Fight Back with Joy. And uh, it, it talks about personal challenge. It's, it's in that context that she, she finished the book. She had decided to write a book about joy. And so she went into the scriptures and she read all the scriptures that she could find about joy and rejoicing and merriment and all these kinds of things. And she was writing this book and she was really enjoying this sense of joy uh, and excitement and, and, and merriment and all these things when she was writing the book. And as she was writing the closing chapter of the book, um, she went to the doctor and was diagnosed with cancer. She had lived a pretty good, pretty easy, pretty full, pretty rich life up until that point. But it was a devastating form of cancer. And she had to put the book on hold. She actually had to just stop. She couldn't finish writing the book uh, to go through this process of trying to, to battle this cancer. Um, and she came out of the cancer, amazingly so. Um, and... Uh, she finished the book, but uh, she, obviously the book took it on a different slant, and the title changed. And uh, she did an interview, and in the interview, the, the, like one of the first questions that came out of the interview was, what's your understanding of the biblical mandate, <laughs> oh gosh, to be joyful no matter what happens? And this is how she responded. She goes, I think using the phrase biblical mandate to be joyful no matter what happens has a tendency to create plasticky Christians who feel forced to fake it a lot. This kind of terminology encourages us to hide our pain, cover our grief, and uh, understate our losses. The very things God often uses to showcase His goodness and glory, we put away. She goes on to say, a biblical mandate to be joyful no matter what is like telling a child you must have fun. Any sense of play is instantly just vacuumed out of the room. The Bible never makes feeling joy a legal matter. I am not trying to get you into legalism today. All right, please understand that. All right. Ecclesiastes informs us that all of humanity will experience moments of tears as well as laughter. God knows these moments well in advance, but they often come as a surprise to us. She says, perhaps you, the one asking the question, perhaps you're referring to rejoice in the Lord always, the Philippians 4 passage. And yes, when as we live in tune with Christ, we're endowed by grace with the ability to reverberate the joy of God. Understand that that Greek root, rejoice, means full of cheer, calmly happy. And this is what she says in conclusion. When all the lights go off in life, when everything is stripped away, 
we can still find a sense of deep peace in who God is, in His character, in His ability to hold things together when our world has fallen apart. And then this is the amazing comment, I believe, from her and her experience. That is always available to us. That is always available to us. Rejoice in the Lord always isn't a mandate as in an 11th hour commandment. It is an invitation to reorient ourselves towards God on the best and the worst day of our lives. Your strength, the Bible says in your mind, is in the joy of the Lord. So I want to invite you to the table today. Wherever you've been, wherever you've wrestled with this sense of of godly contentment and, and great joy in the Lord, I want to pose to you today that that is in Jesus. You find that in the Lord. If someone stayed in your house and you went on a trip, and they paid a bill for you while you were gone, it would bless you. But if that bill was very large, and that bill had to be paid because your home was about to be taken from you, when you came back and you found out the magnitude of the payment, you would be awed and feel highly blessed And maybe even want to try to figure out ways to repay it. But if you found out the almost impending calamity that was about to beset you, the magnitude of what had been done for you would be enhanced dramatically. You paid my bill? How sweet of you. Oh my goodness, my house was about to be taken from me and you paid that great huge bill so that I could keep my home? Oh my goodness. The revelation of the magnitude of calamity that is impending will definitely have an effect upon the level of gratitude and joy for the gift. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that Jesus left heaven and gave up everything, including his life, to save you from the impending calamity of judgment against you that would have sent you to hell. Jesus has done this for you. And that same Jesus is ready to give to you today, regardless of your circumstances, joy unspeakable and full of glory. So we ask you, come in Jesus' name. Andrew, would you join me?